Matthew 21, please. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. Verse 28, please. The Lord Jesus is the speaker and he says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he said, he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Neither of them twain did the will of his, whether of them twain, pardon me, I can already see, whether of them twain did the will of his father. And they say unto him, the first, Jesus saith unto them, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word and inscribe it on our hearts? And would you reveal to us more in your word, the things of God? Glorify your name in all of us. Lord, take away even our own, Lord, preconceived ideas and speak to us. Glorify him. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now two men uh, are in this parable and the Lord Jesus speaks of a, a, a father saying to his sons, two sons, he says, go and work in my vineyard, one says, I will not go. He repents and then goes. The second one then says, I will go and he doesn't go. And the Lord says, well, which of them did the will of his father? And they said, the first, the one who said, I won't go, and then repented and went. Now, all of these things that we'll mention, the parables, we'll look through. I don't know how many we'll get through. And I'm, I'm going to impose on your knowledge of Scripture in certain areas uh, to do with the parables and so on. So forgive me if it seems that way, but it's just really to get through this. And tonight we want to speak on the key to prophecy and the parables. I think if you get this key, I believe when I first got this key, it opened everything to do with prophecy to me. And so the Lord Jesus has given us a key here. The key is the parable of two sons. Now we'll look at it in another, in another moment. But will you then go to Luke 15 for me? Luke chapter 15. And if you just let your eye run down to verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said, said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And when he had joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hard servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee. No more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hard servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. It's good to know that there's music and dancing in the kingdom of God, isn't it? You think there wasn't, but there is. Jesus said that was in it. Now notice. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. He said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came out his father and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years, notice the, the, the language of the older brother, Lo, these many years I do serve thee, neither transgressed at any time thy commandment, and yet Thou never givest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. And as soon as this thy son was come, which hast devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Now, You and I, when we read this, we know that this is spoken many times of a backslider that falls away from God. And the backslider, in fact, I mentioned it on Sunday evening in that context, and that's okay. That's fine. I mentioned it on Sunday night in the same context. But do you know, and this is where I'm going to start stretching you a little bit, that's not what the parable's about. It can be used for that, but that is not what the parable is about. Um, Will you turn with me to Luke? Um, Let me see, 16 then, just over the page, verse 19. You say, why am I reading all of this? I'm going to show you in a moment. There was a rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and furred sumptuously every day. There's a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and he and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and saith Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest also they should come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. Again, here we have two sons, two sons, now two men. And the idea of this is people preach this of a heaven and hell message. Here's some things you need to ask, and every one of these are worthy of a, a deep study in them, their own. This is a summary. But here's what I need to ask you. There's a rich man, and this rich man ends up in what people say is hell. We read he ends up in torments. But it seems as if, does God put you in hell because you're rich? No. So then the poor man Lazarus, is he in heaven, or Abraham's bosom being the type of, uh, as people would say, because he's poor? No. No. So what does all of this mean? The two sons, the two sons and the two men. Now, will you go with me to Revelation chapter 11? Revelation 11. Verse 
Um, let me just find a place of... Okay. Let's just go from verse 3 for time's sake. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred three score days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees. Note that. The two witnesses are two olive trees. And two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now you're told by a lot of people, well, this is either Elijah and Moses or Elijah and Enoch. But when we take what's known as the Bible pattern from the days of George Jeffries and his breakaway then from Elam, he formed a Bible pattern. And what it is, is you take a Bible pattern and you find in the Word of God, usually it's in Genesis, but if there's a further pattern, you go to the first mention. It's called the Law of First Mention. So we're going to go to the Law of First Mention, and this is the key to the parables. Not only for the time of the Lord Jesus, because remember, his audience were to the Jews of his day. And we're going to open up the door here of these parables. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings 11. So when we read this, you'll read from verse 1, but King Solomon loved many strange women. Then it gives you the list. We haven't time. When you go home, read all of this. So he loved many strange women. We know that turned the heart of Solomon away from God and he worships other gods. The Lord isn't too happy about it. In fact, the Lord is angry with him. But because of Solomon's father, David, he promises not to do anything in Solomon's day, but in Solomon's son's day, who is David's grandson. Everybody with me? Okay, so 1 Kings 11, verse 28. It says, And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing the young man, that he was industrious, made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. Now that's important. What is the house of Joseph? And don't forget, neither in Canaan land here, they have their tribal territories. There's three tribes which at this point are east of the, the, the River Jordan. And that's the half-tribe of Manasseh, Ephraim, and it's just... Uh, it's availing me the third tribe that's on the east at the minute. It'll come to me, I hope. Anyhow, so they've all got their apportioned lot. And Joseph is the father of two of those tribes, known as the half-tribes of Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh. They were Joseph's son. Joseph with the technicolor coat, remember, in Egypt years before Joseph, who was thrown into the pit by his brothers, and Joseph went to Potiphar's house and done well, and then his wife cried, raped, you remember? Uh, he went, uh, went for his wife, and he ended up in prison, and then, of course, he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker, and the butler then spoke for him in later years, brought him up uh, to Pharaoh to interpret his dream, and saved uh, Jacob and his, his dad, and, and his brothers come down for corn. Remember the story? Well, that Joseph had... Two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay. Now you'll read in Genesis 48 that Jacob blesses uh, the two sons of Joseph. They're taking Joseph's lot, as they call it, Joseph's part, Joseph's inheritance. And he crosses his hands and the right hand of blessing should have been on Manasseh, the older, and the left hand of blessing should have been on uh, Ephraim, the younger. But Jacob doesn't do that, and he crosses hands. Remember the story. So when you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll read of this in Hebrews 11. It's just from the top of my head, I can't remember the verse uh, number. But it says, when Joseph was a dying, he blessed, pardon me, when Jacob was a dying, he blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped while leaning upon the top of his staff. And the idea was, with him being a shepherd, they notched their staff every time something significant happened. It was their diary. 
And so when he gets up and he's about to die or he's on the road out to die, he probably lived a few years after this actually. The problem was he was like a Cretan gate and he, he didn't know when to lie down, old Jacob. And he, he strengthens himself, pulls himself up on that staff, which is full of notches where God had shown up before, like the pillar stone, the, the stairway to heaven or the ladder. Um, all of those things that happened hiding him from Esau and the Lord, wrestling with the angels of the Lord all night. He would have put all these notches down the staff. And as he looked at it, he would have spelt it being built up in faith of how God had been there in blessing. So with that faith, he now blesses these two boys. Let my name be upon them. He's Jacob, now Israel. So they're called Israel. Simple, isn't it? Okay, so the, Joseph is the northern territories of those tribes. And so Solomon takes this young industrious man and makes him the, uh, in charge of that area. But he gets a lot of favor with the people and it's, uh, and it sort of turns against his son later. Notice. So let your eye run down, um, the verse. Where were we? Right, let's go from 29. And it came to pass at that time Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way. And he had clad himself with a new garment, and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. Notice, takes his new coat, tears it in twelve. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. And then when you read on down, um, let's go to chapter 12. And Rehoboam, Rehoboam is now Solomon's son, whom the kingdom's going to be taken out of his hand, went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it. It says, for he was fled from the presence of the king of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. And they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us lighter and we will serve thee. Okay, so let me just tell you what happens. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, says to Jeroboam, this young industrious man, who's now come with all these people from that area of Joseph, and he says, they say, look, your father's taxes were very heavy on us. Well, you lighten them as the new king, and we will serve you. He goes away, listens to the younger men, listens to the older men. This is Rehoboam, listens to the older men, giving them good advice. You know, take it easy on the people. The younger men say, put it harder on the people. And what happens was, was he goes back and says, I'm going to whip you with scorpions. It'll be that bad, really. You know, this is what it, he was really telling them that he was going to make things worse. So they say, right, depart. And they just break away altogether. And that's what Ahijah the prophet had said. He took, remember, Jeroboam's coat and rent it into 12 and says, here, there's 10 pieces for 10 tribes. God's going to give you them ten. Now it's happened. And they all move northward away from Judah. From this moment, you have now the key to prophecy and the parables. That's your Bible uh, pattern starting here. From twelve together into two kingdoms. And from this moment right through scripture, you'll read of it being two nations. Israel and Judah. Two houses, they're called the house of Israel in the north, house of Judah in the south. They're known as two kingdoms. In Samaria, when you read of the prophecies of, of Samaria, against Samaria, it means that's the capital city of the northern kingdoms called Samaria. And they have a line of kings come out of there. You'll read of Elijah going to there, prophesying against um, Ahab and Jezebel. They were in Samaria, and that was ungodly line. They were all wicked, and they were not of the kingly line that God had set. The devil had moved in so much that now what they're doing is they're trying to replica everything that God done. So then they have different forms of worship. Uh, uh, Jeroboam 
he sees the people still going to Jerusalem to worship, to the temple. And he's going, I'm going to lose these people. I'm, I'm paraphrasing this story for you. You can read it all in the scripture. I'm going to lose these people. So he makes two bull calves. And he puts one in Bethel and one in Dan. And he says, these be thy gods of Israel that brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. It's too much for you to go to Jerusalem to worship. Worship here. So the people start to worship the bull calves. And the kingdoms start to get further apart from each other. They become those two kingdoms because there's the kings of Judah, which are were David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and so on. Um, you'll hear of King Hezekiah, the reformer king, came from there, and Jehoshaphat, all those good kings. And the northern kings were all wicked. And so then you have uh, the two are called two sticks in Scripture. Two sisters they're known as. And I'll read them briefly for you till you get the idea. And this carries right through until you get into the New Testament. And Jesus starts speaking about there were two sons. And then he says there was a, a, a younger son and an older son or the prodigal son. And then through the risen Christ, John writes of two witnesses who were two Olive trees. The two witnesses were the same two sons. Do you get it now? So I know maybe that's stretching your minds a bit. Maybe you haven't heard that before. But to me, the Bible's interpreting the Bible the whole way through. So stay with me to look at something else because I want to bring you a little bit deeper. Is that okay? Just to show you. I just want to stretch you a little more. And, and so when we read this, the Lord had promised that he would give David, which is the house of David from the tribe of Judah, he promised in 1 Kings chapter 11, and he had promised that he would take all the tribes away, but give David a tribe. And the idea was to be a light before him always. And so when those tribes broke up, who stayed with the tribe of Judah in the house of David? Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin. So they, two tribes, become known as the house of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the nation of Judah. But there's two different tribes. And some of Levi. The Levites had no inheritance uh, as, as to land or anything. So they actually just labored away in the temple as per usual. And so when, you, when you're reading this, when you get into the mindset of this, and where Jesus is coming from, these two sons, the two destinies change then. Look, go with me to uh, the first mention of the word Jews, J-E-W-S. You would say, is that in Genesis? No. Exodus? No. Leviticus? No. Deuteronomy? No. Numbers? No. How far down the Bible do we need to go before we hear the actual word Jews? Believe it or not, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 16. And you know, when you go home, Check me out on this. Go and do your, your concordance or check it online. Write in J-E-W-S to your, your, your online uh, word study. And you'll see this is the first time. Second uh, Kings 16. And that's where I run down to verse 5. And reason the king of Syria, that's not Assyria, but Syria where Damascus is now and so on. Where Damascus was then too, pardon me as well, but you know where I mean, that landmass. And Rezin, the king of Syria, and notice this, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, what does it say, king of where? (coughs) King of Israel. Came up to Jerusalem, what for? What for? To war. Now hold on a second. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. Rezin, the king of Syria, has now become confederate in war with Israel. And who are they fighting against? You ready? Verse 6. At that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drove the Jews from Elath. And the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. They're fighting against the Jews. I see. Makes you think, doesn't it? Because you're told all Israel are all Jews and all Jews are all Israel. Not according to Scripture, it doesn't. 
the word Jew is a derivative name. Actually, the J on the, on the word Jew, the letter English I'm talking about now, it didn't actually come into functioning until about the a time of the 1500s. It was actually an I was there because the actual word is Yehudi for Judah. Judea comes from that word. You see? And so whenever you look at this, you have to see now, they're actually fighting each other. So if you read verse 7, to Ahaz sent, so Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. Notice this is now not Syria, but Assyria. It's a different people. Saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel which rise up against me. Now the, the king in Judah, or the Jews here, are actually saying, these Israelites are fighting with us. These are their brethren. So can you see the difference? In the, I'm trying to show you. Um, um, how, many, how many times have you ever heard this before? You never hear that, so you don't. So Jesus speaks about these two sons. And he brings it right down. They're two witnesses. The revelation. The house of Israel. And the house of Judah. Now, go to Second Chronicles 28, please. Second Chronicles chapter 28. And just let's write on down to verse 6, please. For Pekah, remember who was the son of Remaliah? Who's he? He's the king of Israel. Northern kingdom, is that right? Slew in Judah 120,000 in one day. An Israelite slain the Jews. Which were valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zechri, a mighty man of Ephraim. Remember that name? That's Joseph's son, remember? Now these are his descendants. So they're from Ephraim, the tribe, and from the kingdom. Who slew Messiah, the king's son, and Ezrikam, the governor of the house, and Elkanah that was next to the king, and the children of Israel carried away the captain of their brethren, 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and also took much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. They actually came down, slew a lot of their, their brethren from Judah, the Jews. These were Israelites. And they took 200,000 of their women and children. And brought them up into Samaria. So now we have the whole 12 tribes are represented in the northern kingdom. Because of these people. Now you'd have to read on to see what happens. There is a release for these uh, women. Because they basically they wise up. To let them go that is. Okay so. Will you go with me to First Chronicles chapter 5 then. Verse 1. First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed. Now notice this. You underline your Bible here. His birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph. So Reuben is the firstborn of the 12 uh, uh, sons of Jacob, Israel. He's, he's, the, he's going to inherit. He's going to be the, the head tribe. He's going to be, his people are going to be the boss over them all. And then uh, the split comes between the tribes. And Joseph's sons now take the birthright. Isn't that what the Bible says? Now, if Joseph's sons are Ephraim and Manasseh in the northern kingdom, that means the Jews don't have the birthright. Of According to the word of God, isn't that right? Are you reading that with me? Notice this. 
His birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. What does it mean? It should have been Reuben and then the next son down. But different was the Lord chose Joseph. Joseph's sons through Jacob. So now Joseph has the birthright. What is the birthright? The birthright is that they are the ruler, the owner even of the land and all that is entailed in the blessings. Now notice this, verse 2, And Judah, here's the southern kingdom, prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler. But the birthright was Joseph's. Now, if you read there, there's more about the carrying away of the peoples and, and so on. We, we just can't go into that too much. But So, when we, when we look at this, um, trying to find where I should read to bring you further down into. When you go on into, let's see, go to Ezekiel chapter 37. As I said, if some of these just jotted down and other ones I haven't, but I just know a lot of this off the top of my head. Okay. Ezekiel 37, let your eye run down to verse 15. Wherefore the princes were wroth with Jeremiah and smote him and put him in prison. Well, I'm in Jeremiah 37, pardon me. I'm in the wrong book altogether here. That's going, that doesn't mean, that's not what that. Verse 15, sorry. And the word of the Lord came unto me, unto me saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee, notice, one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, for all the house of Israel, his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and I will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest, it shall be in thine hand before their eyes. What is the Lord saying? That here in Ezekiel, the northern kingdom is gone. Joseph, the northern kingdom have been taken captive. They're now on their migration. They're gone. The southern kingdom of Judah, where are they? They're in Babylon. They're gone too. That's when you read of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. That's where you read of Daniel in the lion's den. Now Ezekiel is by the river Kippur and he sees a vision of the glorious man. And the Lord says, listen, you are taken captive. The house of Israel are now gone over 120 years. 120 years has elapsed. And these two brothers, the, the stick has been broken. One has been sent and now they're on their migration west and now this one is gone east into Babylon. And the Lord says, but look, it's going to come a time when you take a stick and put them together and their two names are on, they're going to become one. So whenever you read down uh, just for time's sake, read it all when you go home. Notice if you read verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. Now, speaking of David, David's dead here about a thousand years nearly. <laughs> well, hundreds and hundreds of years. You see, David represents, remember, not for my, David's, my servant David's sake will he take the kingdom out of Solomon's hand. Remember, First Kings 11. David was the one who was the man after God's own heart. David was the one who united Israel and was the king over all Israel. David here is typifying that anyone who is going to be from the houses, and that whether it be a Jew or a Gentilized Israelite, they must 
be un- in David. And what do we mean by that? David's greater son. And who's David's greater son? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way they can be joined together. As in Christ. So, will you go with me to Jeremiah 3? Jeremiah 3. And notice what the Lord says here. Verse 6, the Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen what backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain, and under every green tree, and have played the heart of This is the northern kingdom, the ten peace garment, the ten tribes. And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Notice, here's the two sisters. And I saw when for all her causes were backsliding, Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. I know that. Know that. Now this is going to be very, very important for the next part I'm going to say to you. So this is, we've reversed back in time. Israel now, and Jeremiah is this before the, the Judah, uh, or the Jews are carried away into Babylon. This is before, and he's telling them, about the, the judgments of God that's coming and they throw them in the pit as we read and all that sort of stuff. And the Lord says, see your sister in Samaria or northern kingdom, they're gone now. Backsliding Israel, he calls them. He says, now you Judah, your judgment's coming and they're going to go into Babylon. Now notice this. He says in verse 8, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. And this is God saying to the northern ten-tribed, ten-pieced garment of the house of Israel who had become uh, a spiritually adulterer before their, their, their husband who is God. He says, I divorced her. God got a divorce. Because of the adultery. Do you see when Jesus is asked, is there a case for fornication or a case for a, a divorce and remarriage? What did he say? But for the case of fornication? Do you think Jesus isn't thinking as God in flesh about these days? But there's more to this. Stretching a wee bit, aren't they? There's more to this. Now listen. I gave her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. He doesn't divorce Judah. He doesn't divorce him. Verse 9, And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. In other words, worshipped other gods. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but faintly said, saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. God says, you know what? See Judah, she should know better. And see Israel who were away and had all their false worship and all their false gods and the one I divorced, they're going to be more justified than this one. You read that, don't you? How's that going to happen? When you read on down, and just for time's sake, again, read the whole chapter. Um, When you read on down, um, Verse 12, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thy backsliding Israel, and saith the Lord, and I will cause mine anger to fall up. I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Now, I really don't have a lot of time to go into this. 
But these two sisters are given a name by the Lord. Um, it's going to take too long. One is called Samaria, the northern kingdom, and the other one is called Jerusalem. For the, nor- the northern kingdom and for the southern kingdom, which is Jerusalem, the capital cities. The, the, the northern kingdom's name, he calls her Ahala. So Samaria, he says, is Ahala. And Ahala means she hath her own tent. And or she brought lovers into her own tent. She's made up her own kings and she's made up all her own gods and it hasn't been what I have laid down. She has her own tent. And then he says, Jerusalem is known as a holiba. And it means my tent doesn't hurt. My temple's in there, Jerusalem. That's what it means. God says, my temple's in Jerusalem. This is where my line of kings have come from. But her, she's gone, but I'll justify her. So we have to ask, Lord, how and when are you going to do this? Okay. Will you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31? And that's your eye run down to... Verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. What new covenant is that? Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, the Sinaitic covenant or the the covenant where it was the law given by Moses and Exodus 19, Israel become the wife of Yahweh. And that's why he divorces the northern kingdom here. So he says, I'm going to make a new covenant, but not like that covenant of law. Verse 33, And this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. What covenant is that? Let me tell you, every Sunday morning we gather around here and the same night on which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the same manner, he also took the cup, and when he had stopped saying, this cup is a new covenant or testament to my blood, which is shed for many for remission of sin, this do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's the new covenant. And that's the actual covenant of Daniel chapter 9, about a man coming making a covenant. It's not a future covenant. It's this. In fact, if you read Daniel 9, what he's saying in Daniel 9 is this. Daniel's saying, I'm reading the books, and I'm reading the book of Jeremiah, and then he gets the 70 weeks prophecy. The actual covenant is a confirming the covenant of this. Scripture's interpreting scripture here. Hebrews chapter 8, read it when you go home. Hebrews chapter 9 is the death of the testator of the covenant. What does that mean? So for you and I who break the law and Christ kept the law that we couldn't keep, isn't that right? So for God to keep his law, to be rebetrothed to his bride or his wife again, do you know what he done? He died in the person of his son. And now he resurrected again. He's coming again as the bridegroom. You see it? To be rebetrothed unto us. So all who are in him are re-betrothed to the bridegroom. Does that make sense? Isn't that fantastic? So when you go back to the parables, I'll try and round this up now. That's just a summary of all that. All of those could do with a night study in itself. You see the big, vast picture of it. So when you go back again to Matthew 21, 
Let's just, we'll not read all of these things again, obviously. But here's the two sons. Verse 28. But what think ye a certain man of two sons? And he came to the first and said, go, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he, and he answered and says, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. Notice this one's repented. So who was the first son? He's the same as the prodigal, the one who is away into a far country. He is the northern kingdom who are scattered, who come westward, and who populate these islands. Why? Because we're the ones who have repented in Christ. The gospel. Why do you think the gospel came to us? Because we're the witnesses of Christ. Why was the gospel sent around the world by this small nation? By the European nations? Why did it not go to China first and then come to us? Or India first and then come to us? Or Japan first? Because this is the way Israel came west. Why was the Reformation come this way, the Protestant Reformation? Because that's the way Israel came. Why was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost? Why not go? Obviously it all starts in Jerusalem here. But why did not go to China or somewhere first? Because the seed was scattered. I came west. These are all identification marks. So notice this. We have repented at the sound of the gospel. Matthew, pardon me, Jeremiah 16. Let your eye run down to verse 16. Jeremiah 16 and verse 16. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain, and from every hill, and out of the holes in the rocks. For mine eyes are upon all their ways. Lost. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And the Lord says, look, they're lost to themselves. They don't have a clue who they are. But they're not lost to me. But notice what he says in verse 16. Behold, I will send for many fishers. Now, when Jesus comes along the shore and sees Peter and Andrew, James and John, what's the first thing he shouts at them? Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Why? Because he is the same Yahweh, Jehovah God, who spoke these words, I will send the fishers, and he walks along the shore in the person of his son, and he says, follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. Who are the men? The lost seed of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And everyone who was around them heard the gospel of saving grace. Make sense to you? Am I stretching you a bit? You're thinking about it? You see, we have this mindset that's it's, it's insular where nothing can come in and out from what we have been. You know, it's, it's enclosed around us. But when we take it, let the Bible interpret the Bible. It was... You know, it was from this nation, and of course then the United States later as we went further west and populated the United States, but it's from these nations that the gospel went forth. Look, in, in chapter 21, Matthew 21, the second son says he will. We'll keep the law of God. Yes, we will. And who are they? The other son is the Jews. But they didn't. And Jesus came and he says, these are vipers, and because they've become mixed with other peoples at this time. Traditions of men had crept in. But let your eye run right down. He gives the parable in verse 33 
certain householder planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, digged a wine press on it, built a tower and let it out the husband and went into a far country, speaking of himself going into the heavens before his second coming. And then, of course, we know when the time of fruit drew near, his servants, he sent the servants and his husbandmen that they might receive fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto him likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Now listen, this is very important because people miss this. Jesus was crucified outside the city walls. I don't believe he was crucified at Gordon's Calvary. I don't believe that at all. And surely it wasn't the, the Holy Sepulchre either. I believe he was crucified in the Mount of Olives. I'll do a study on that another time because he had to be further east to be able to look west to see the temple around in twain because the sun came up in the east and shone into the temple. And when Israel carried the Ark of the Covenant, they had to be 3,000 feet away from the Ark of the Covenant. And whenever you get the encampments like on these banners here, it has to be they're encamped 3,000 feet away from the temple or the tabernacle. And you take 3,000 feet and you're right outside the city walls. And when you go east where the sun would come, the east, the east sun would come in the morning for the sacrifice would shine down right into the temple. He had to be there. It was the Mount of Olives he spent his nights in. It was Mount of Olives that he was arrested in. Olive, uh, Gethsemane means olive press, God's olive press, where he was crushed and sweat like great drops of blood. He ascended from the Mount of Olives and they said that he's coming back. The two angels or men dressed in white says that he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. I believe he was crucified in the Mount of Olives. Sorry if I busted a couple of Gordon Calvary bubbles there, but I don't really mean to. See, we go so much with tradition all the time and what we heard, we don't seek it out. People just go along. It's like, we just go along with what we hear. It's like the people in the news, they just take everything at their face value what they hear. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but just bear with me. Give me another five or ten minutes. Is that all right? Everybody okay? You all right? Now listen. Let your eye run down. So they have killed the son. This is him talking about his crucifixion. Verse 40. When the Lord of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? He will miserably destroy those wicked men. Now I'm going to stretch you here. He's speaking to the Jews here. I believe Jesus is coming to the Mount of Olives. I believe that. I believe he's going to rule from Jerusalem. I believe that for a thousand years. I believe that. But I'm going to be honest. See those Jews who aren't in Christ? He's going to destroy them. doesn't matter how many temples people try and build. These are the words of Christ. I don't know why people are jumping over these. Look, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyards unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Notice then he talks about the stone which was rejected, who's himself. Verse 43. Therefore I say unto you, unto the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders, you have to remember that in, 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 in the jury, whether it be Jury worldwide, or jury, as in uh, those Jews who are in um, Jerusalem or whatever. There's always good figs and bad figs. Just like there's good figs, as it were, only it's in a different context, and bad figs among you and I. Well, hopefully not here, but among the people in our nation, we have good people and bad people. We have people who are in Christ and people who aren't. Notice this. Therefore I say unto you, Jesus says that the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. 
What do you think of that? AD 70, Titus came and destroyed the temple. There's a massacre in Jerusalem. And given to a nation. See the word nation? People say that's the church. Church is ecclesia. The word for nation is ethnos. Ethnos. Do you know what it means? People of the same people. So when Jesus says, other sheep of I that are not of this fold, who's he speaking of? He's speaking of the other son. Does that make sense to you now? He's speaking of those of Israel who were gentilized and lost. They don't even know themselves, but God says, I know who you are. So the ethnos is this. I take it from you. Someone else will bring forth my glory. The other witness. And who's that other witness? Well, who's brought forth the glory of God? The gospel, the printing of the word, the missionary endeavor. Even on a secular level, who is it that when there's disasters over the world, send forth all the aid and the people and go out into the where there's famines in Africa and raise all the money, even in a secular sense? It all, that's all kingdom fruit. And who does that? Our nations. Does that make sense to you? I know people think I'm rare for believing this, but I've just read the scriptures to you. And we've just thought about it. So in Revelation, let's finish with this. In Revelation chapter 11. Do you know, when we read this, what we have thought of, people say, oh, because... You know, you, you think that, people tend to think that, you know, maybe you think that because you're, uh, I don't, British, because you're European, or because you're white, or you're saying you're, des- you're descended of the northern kingdom, or you think you're safe. No, I do not indeed. In fact, I think we should know better, and we'll come under a greater punishment. And the man or the woman who's never heard from Africa, or from China, or wherever else, I believe it. You've heard me preach the gospel. You know me by now. Notice what he says in Revelation 11. Verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred three score days, clothed in sackcloth. Now, I don't want to get into that because that's an actual time scale that's happened. Okay. These are the two olive trees, the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, whenever we talk about Bible pattern and also the scriptures interpret the scriptures, there's no better commentary on the scriptures than the scriptures themselves. I think we've looked at that tonight, haven't we? So let's do this for this last point. Because I know, and look, I, I don't... I don't fall out with people who don't agree with me on these secondary doctrine issues. I don't fall out with people over it. But I feel this is a key of these two kingdoms for prophecy. Now, if you can get the whole of it, your mind's never the same again according to the word of God. It just illuminates the word to me. Go with me to the book of Isaiah. With two scriptures to read, and that's it. Isaiah 43 But now thus saith the Lord, verse 1, who created thee, O Jacob, the form thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. Now, let your eye run down. The verse 10. Ye are my witnesses. Now if we're looking at the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, isn't that right? And he's saying to Israel here, ye are my witnesses. 
saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and have shown when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. So who are the witnesses according to this? Israel. Israel separated into two kingdoms, two olive trees, two sons, two sticks, two men. Isn't that right? Go to Isaiah 44 and verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told ye from that time and declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. So you can see here, God is saying who his witnesses are. So there's two of them. Two houses, two kingdoms, two nations. Why? To declare the glory of God in the earth. To me, it's as plain as we're just reading it here. The rich man and Lazarus. How do we fit that in? I'll do a full study on it some night because it's a big one. But let me give you it in a nutshell. The rich man is clothed in purple. It speaks of royalty. The royalty. Remember, Jesus is speaking to people with a Jewish mindset here. Judah had the kingship, the kingly line coming from it. Isn't that right? The house of David. That was the royal. They were rich. They had the oracles and the word of God, didn't they? They had everything they needed. They they were sumptuous all throughout those years. And Lazarus became the beggar. The northern kingdom became the beggar. And he went into a far country. In other words, he was scattered throughout the nations. And when he went into a far country, he ended up eating pig food, isn't that right? He lived radishly. In other words, he became gentilized. He became like a heathen, didn't know who he was, and he lived like, just like you and I would see the sinners in our nation today. Lived in all manner of sin. And then, he comes to himself. He turns to his father. And he comes back again. Father, forgive me. Hi, Through the preaching of the gospel of saving grace. That's the rich man. Or pardon me, I'm on the prodigal. The rich man, uh, I mixed those up. The rich man, <laughs> I'm getting mixed up myself. The rich man dies. How did he die? AD 70. The Jews, Jerusalem. Remember I told you, Titus comes, destroys the temple, Jerusalem. All the Jews are killed and slain around. A lot are taken away captive. But Lazarus is the other son or the other man, like the prodigal is the prodigal in the far country. He returns. He's the one who has now come under the saving grace. You see the difference now? What is the great gulf fixed between them? I'll tell you what the gulf is. Christ. For the Jews. I know there's Messianic Jews who are getting saved. But in mass, they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they'll be in hell. Why does he say, let me tell my brothers? Because Judah, where you get the name Jew from, had four brothers. He says, I have, there's five brethren. That's not what he says. So they had, they had four brothers. It's all in the book of Genesis. And why does the Lord say, you know, you have Moses and the prophets? Because they had Moses and the prophets, the law, who prophesied of what? Christ coming. And they wouldn't listen. Yeah, but if they hear that one's rose from the dead, he says, no, 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 they won't. You know why? Because we're still preaching that Jesus rose from the dead, and en masse, they still do not believe. 
Can you see it now? The two kingdoms? The two separated Israel? It's amazing, isn't it? So whenever you even go in and you look at these things and you look at uh, the, the prodigal eating the, the pig, the food of the husk of the pig, you know what that is? That's the prodigal away. That is the northern kingdom away through the nations. And the older brother, whenever he comes back, he's repented. The prodigal repents and comes back to his father and he's welcomed. And the older brother says, no, you didn't do that for me. The father says, didn't do what for you? He didn't have a sacrifice. He said, I had a sacrifice. You know what the sacrifice was? There shall be a fountain open in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. What is that fountain? The prophet prophesied of it. It's the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And, they, and, 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 and this is where this is. You know, so the, the, the older brother is saying, you didn't do that for me, kill the father calf and rejoice. He says, but there's a fountain open for you. And you didn't want it. It was always there. It's already happened. Thought it'd stretch her brain a wee bit tonight. 